He continues, Paul, Paul continues, back to Ephesians chapter 4, we'll cover uh, verses 13 to 15, where Paul writes, until, in other words, this process of equipping will continue until we all attain to the unity of the faith and, to, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But, here's the contrast, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So Paul starts off this section, these verses, by telling us what the first result of us equipping you guys for ministry is. Unity of the faith. Unity of the faith. What's, what's that, though? What does that mean? It means that we're all on the same page. So using the teamwork analogy, when we're all doers of the word, it means that we understand what the game plan is and we're selflessly working together to achieve that goal. Selflessly working together. Together, that's key. See, God, God's design from the beginning was never for us to be alone. Genesis chapter 2. God's done all these things to create uh, the earth and, and everything, and he creates Adam, and everything is good, 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 very good. And then he comes to Adam, and he says, it is not good that man should be alone. It's not good for any of us to be alone. He's designed us to be in a team, to be a teamwork, to be committed to teamwork. How many times have you guys uh, been watching a football game and the quarterback throws to, like, la-la land? It, like, goes to, to nobody at all. It's like nobody there. And so what do the commentators say? The commentators will say, oh, you know, the, the receiver didn't run his route. Uh, they're, on, they're just on different pages. You know, maybe the receiver forgot what he was supposed to do. Maybe he didn't understand uh, what the game plan was exactly. But for one reason or another, he doesn't end up where he's supposed to be. He's, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. See, it's important that everybody on the team understand which play is being called so that they can be where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there and that they can do and so that they can do the things that they are supposed to be doing. So Paul says that when you're properly equipped for your ministry, we'll all be on the same page. That's the first result. The second result, Paul tells us, is that we'll have unity in our knowledge of the Son of God. Here's the reality. The more we do what he says, the more like him we will become. The more we become like him, the better we know him. And this will continue until we see the, the third result, which Paul tells us, uh, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, we'll, be, we'll reach spiritual maturity. We won't be tossed around by doubt and disbelief and, and false doctrines. No, eventually we'll be perfected in Christ-likeness. You know that that's what God has planned for everybody? Every single one of you? That's God's plan is for you to be perfected in Christ-likeness. Now, how's that going to happen? It's a little bit of a mystery, but John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, we know that when he, that is Jesus, when he appears, we will be like him. Why? Because we will see him just as he is. So that's a little bit of a mystery, but when we see him, we will become perfectly like him. 
That's the light at the end of the tunnel. That's the goal for us, to become more and more and more like Jesus. And when we see him, John tells us that that work will be complete. We'll become like him. So Paul says, As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, again, here's the contrast, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Now, let's turn that around a little bit. How are we to grow up in all aspects into him him who is the head? How are we supposed to do that? He says, speaking the truth in love. See, when we're united in our faith and we're united in our knowledge of Jesus, we won't be susceptible to schemes and false doctrine. To the contrary, we'll be speaking the truth in love and we'll grow up into all aspects, in all aspects, into him who is the head, even Christ. So the second point of our game plan here, using the teamwork analogy, the second point, is to let your life be completely permeated and driven by and characterized by the love of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul writes, For the love of Christ compels us. Now, if you think about that, that's a little bit ambiguous, isn't it? The love of Christ compels us. Now, when, when something belongs to me, like, uh, like my car, over there. You might say that is the car of Toby. It's, it's my possession. But when, when he's writing this, maybe he's saying the love of Christ, the love that Christ has for us. So is he talking about our love for him or his love for us? And this is really cool because the way that it's written, it can be interpreted, interpreted either or both ways. We're driven, we're compelled by the love of Jesus. His love for us And our love for him. John says, we love him because he first loved us. Right? That should be what drives our ministry. And so love needs to be just oozing out of us. We need to be characterized by our love of Jesus. Christ's love changed us, and it is strengthening us. So our love for him should be the fuel that drives our ministry. Now, why is that important? It's important because ministry requires sacrifice. It does. And so you have to love because love, by definition, is self-sacrificial. It's sacrificing something of your own for the benefit of somebody else. It's putting somebody else first before yourself. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... Right, it was a sacrificial love. That's what love is. It is sacrificial. There's an old uh, Greek playwright, about 300 years before Christ, who wrote, love is all we have, the only way that we can help the other. Jesus said something a little bit similar to that. He said in John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, did you guys catch that? There are two sentences there. There are two sentences, and he said the same thing, how many times? Three times, right? Love one another. He says it three times. Now, back then, they didn't have 
uh, you know, fonts or, or underlines or anything like that, if you were texting this, uh, you'd put it all in caps. <laughs> Love one another. A huge emphasis here. Uh, if you were writing it on a, on a Word document or something like that, you'd, you'd capitalize it, you'd, you'd underline it, you'd put it in bold font. Yeah, the emphasis here, the central thing here is that we are supposed to have love for one another. Now, Jesus could have said a lot of things that we would be known by. He says, people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. He, he could have said, people will know that you're my disciples if you know the whole Bible backwards and forwards. He doesn't say that. He could have said, people will know that you're my disciples if you gather regularly for fellowship. He doesn't say that either. He could have said, people will know that you're my disciples because you wear a Jesus shirt and you wear a cross and you listen to Christian radio and nothing else. No, he doesn't say that. He says, people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So how important is love? It's huge. Love needs to be a priority in your life and in your ministry. It needs to be at the heart of everything that you say and do. How important is it? I think Paul, Paul hits, it, hits the nail on the head here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, even if you have the most eloquent speech in the whole world, if you're trying to share the love of Jesus with somebody, but you don't have love, all they hear is... Yeah. It's just noise if it's not characterized by love. He continues, If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. In other words, if I have the most significant gifting of all, but I don't have love, it's all for nothing. He continues, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and, I, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. In other words, you can do everything that seems right. You can live a really moral life. But if your motivation isn't love, and if your actions and your words are not characterized by love, Paul says, it profits me nothing. It's worthless in the long run. And that's why, one of the points we made last week, that's why it's not offensive to people who know that you love them and care about them. It's not offensive when you share Jesus with them. If you love them. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And he says, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, Here's the thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you come to the understanding that what God has gifted you and called you to do, the ministry that he's called you into, and you realize that it's not about yourself, it's about him, it's going to be much easier to connect with people and to make an impact in their lives. See, your identity in Christ has the purpose of lovingly serving. This is it. Lovingly serving people in your circles of influence. You represent Jesus to them. You do. Every single one of us. 
needs to be doing this. Every single one of us. Uh, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, another one of my favorite verses. As each one, each follower of Jesus, as each one has received a special gift, use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's how we show the grace of God in our lives, is by serving. That's what Peter's saying there. God's grace is, is more than abundant, and we're designed not to be like a, a bottle that, that, with, that keeps it all bottled in. We're supposed to be like a fountain that's just got it overflowing in our lives. God's grace should be overflowing in our lives. So here's the question. Are you ready to take some ownership of, of this church body? Because this church isn't just about me. It's not just about the board of elders. It's about every single one of us working as a team together toward a common goal. Unity of faith and knowledge of Jesus. And as I step into this role as, as, your, as your pastor, your pastor teacher, I see that there's a lot of room for, for adding ministries to what we're doing here. A lot of room. And I think, I don't just think, I am convinced that God is calling us to change that. You know, I live right back here. All week long, this place is pretty empty. We are strategically located. God is calling us to change what we're doing here. So with that said, in the coming weeks and months, the Board of Elders and I will be seeking volunteers and ministry leaders We're not going to be heading everything up. We're asking you guys, how are you gifted? What's God calling you to do? What's he put on your heart? What can you do to do what Peter says? To use your gift in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So here's the thing. After the service, we're going to have these sheets of paper out in the the lobby there. Now, these aren't commitments. These are just indications of interest. But some of the things that, that we're going to be uh, adding, uh, ushers. One of the things that, that we've talked about is wouldn't it be cool, because we're a multi-generational body of, of Christ followers, wouldn't it be cool if we had a teenager taking up the offering with somebody who's, who's older and has grown up in the church and is ready to pass that baton on to the next generation? Wouldn't that be cool? So we need greeters, ushers. We need a prayer team. One of the things that we do here, we have this congregational prayer at the end. And just so I can preach five minutes longer, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We're going to be adding a prayer team. We're going to be adding a prayer team so that those of you who are gifted in intercessory prayer have a chance to use that gift. You have a chance to use that gift. So we're going to have a prayer team that... Everybody can, if you need prayer, you can meet with them individually after the service. Now, that, there are a lot of you know, things that that can lead to. That can lead to people uh, asking, you know, how do, I, how do I put my faith in Jesus? What, what do I do? What's my next step? Uh, it can be, you know, if somebody doesn't want to bring their prayer need in front of the whole congregation, you know, some people just aren't there, that's okay. You know, then they have a chance to bring that to somebody. So we're going to be adding a prayer team. We'll need people for that. Women's ministry. <laughs> We want to be starting some type of women's ministry. And again, this isn't necessarily a commitment. This is just an indication of interest. Go ahead and sign up after the service. Men, we're going to be having men's breakfast. That's something I'd like to see, uh, see added. Nursery, uh, that'll start 
uh, when, the, when the worship service starts. We, we'll need uh, nursery workers, youth group. We've got a lot of teenagers. We need to meet those needs as well. See, there are needs in the church, and I can't meet all of them myself. No, no one person can meet all these needs efficiently. We'll be a lot more efficient if those of you who are gifted for these things, any one of these things or more than one of these things, if you're, if you're willing to, to contribute to that. Let's wrap things up. Ephesians chapter uh, 4. Uh, let's back up a little bit to verse 15 and go through verse 16 where Paul says, We are to grow up in all aspects into him, into Jesus, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So do you see how this is all unfolding? Teamwork. What starts with the leadership of the church equipping all of us to do the work of ministry, the work of service, causes us as a body to grow in Christ-likeness. And as we grow in Christ-likeness, Paul tells us that Jesus will fit all the pieces of the body together so that each part is working the way that it was designed to work. It'll be working properly the way that it's supposed to. And Paul says that the end result of this cycle will be the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Remember a couple weeks ago in the first, uh, first message of this series, remember I told you that where there's spiritual growth, there's usually numerical growth as well? That's what Paul's saying. What this tells us, first of all, is that you're a piece of this body that we need. There are things that you are designed to do, and you can do those things better than me. You can do those things better than anybody on the board. You can do those things better than anybody else in here. That's why God brought you here, because you are gifted that way. Jesus has supplied our needs by bringing you here. There are things that you just do better than anybody else. Now, we've got, what, 30 or 40 people here? About 30 or 40 people? That might not sound like a whole lot. Let me back up. Do you remember the percentage of the population in Linwood that I told you does not go to church on Sunday mornings? 78%. That means that there are 22% of the population who do go to church. Let's knock that down to about 19% because about 3% of those people are involved in cults. 3% of that 22% are involved in cults. So we've got less than 20% of this population who needs Jesus. So you take, let's just say 80%. 80% of the population, they don't go to church. They don't know Jesus. And if you assume that the population of Linwood is about 35,000, that's, that's a rough estimate, about 35,000. What that means is that we have between 25,000 and 30,000 people who aren't going to church, who don't know Jesus. And so you might ask, what difference can 30 or 40 people make We're so small, they're so big, what can we do? I don't want you to look at it that way. I want you to look at it this way. Think of it as 30 or 40 missionaries being sent into a small town. 30 or 40 missionaries. That's my goal for this ministry, is to equip you as missionaries to do the work of ministry. So the third point of the game plan, using the game plan analogy the teamwork analogy, is see yourself as a missionary and use our location, use our church building 
as a launching point for your personal ministry. And here's the thing. Be be strategic about it. Commit to being strategic about it. The first thing that you need to do is you need to identify the people who are in your circles of influence who don't know Jesus. That's, That's not too hard to do. And if you're not sure, get to know them better. Ask some probing questions. That's okay. But make sure that they know, step number two, make sure that they know that you're a follower of Jesus. Make sure they know what you're doing on Sunday mornings. Number three, write their names down someplace. Start working on a prayer list. People that you know who don't know Jesus, who who need Jesus. And you're committing to pray for them. Whether you put it in your wallet and you look at it every day or you put it on the refrigerator and every morning when you go to get your your milk for your cereal, you, you, you pray for them. Put it someplace where you'll remember it. Number four, continue to cultivate those relationships. Continue to to deepen those relationships with people as you are continuing to also pray for them. And number five, don't be afraid to be transparent with with people. Don't make them think that they have to have everything all figured out before they come here. You know, we, we all have struggles. I have struggles. We all have struggles. It's okay for people to know that. It's okay. So here's what I'd like to see. And I I don't think this is unreasonable. Here's what I'd like to see before the end of 2011. We've got 30 or 40 people here. I think that by the end of 2011, we could very, very easily add 20 people. 20. Out of 25,000 to 30,000, 20 people. That's not radical. What would be radical is to say, oh, God, I I don't think that can happen here. Oh, yes, it can. Oh, yes, it can. When God is is put into that equation, anything's possible. Anything. So I think that adding 20 people, four or five families, to our family here is reasonable. Because he's gifted each one of us for ministry, for service. Every single one of us. We're the team that God has put together. So, just to review, first part of the game plan, don't just be a hearer, be a doer as well. Walk away with meat, not milk. Don't just forget what you hear, chew on it. Chew on it. Number two, make sure that your life is characterized and driven by the love of Jesus. Number three, See yourself as a missionary. You know, we've just got a a small list of things that that we're asking you guys to to prayerfully consider. And if you have another ministry that you'd like to see started up here, great, come to us. I am totally open to ideas. I love ideas. But see this as a launching point for your ministry. Take ownership of Linwood Evangelical Free Church by committing to some type of ministry that God's called you to. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness and into light to proclaim your glory in this community. God, I pray that you will strengthen us, enable us to do that on a daily basis. Teach us what it means to live for you. Not just to go to church on Sunday mornings, Lord, but to 
commit to serving you and your body in a way that will make an impact for eternity. God, we thank you that, uh, that this is a way that, that we can all grow, both in our understanding of you and numerically and relationally. We see that this is how you've designed it, Lord, and we thank you for that. We pray that you will bless our efforts and make us more than hearers, Lord. Strengthen us and prod us to be doers as well. In Jesus' name, amen.